welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. Good morning. It is a, a blessing to have you in our home. Um, I hope everyone is comfortable enough. I was worried it was going to be a little chilly this morning, but I think we're all uh, warming each other up together. Thank you for your singing. If you would, please turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. So we don't have a projector and a projector screen that gives my helpful like little notes that helps me stay on track and lets you know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to try and be a little bit more deliberate today to let you know what I would have put up on a screen if there was one. That's the only way I know how to go about it right now to, to help you understand what I'm trying to get at. So the title for today's sermon is The Way of Cain. And we're going to be focusing on Genesis 4 verses 1 through 16. Genesis 4, 1 through 16, focusing on the way of Cain. And I'll, it will hopefully become evident later why... Um, I chose to title it that way. But before we continue um, through this book of beginnings, I'd like to just take a moment to step back from the, the details of the text, which is what we focus most of our time on during the sermon. So I'd like to just back up from that for a moment and look at the framework of the entire book of Genesis, just to remind us where we're at and where we're going in this book. So Genesis has 50 chapters, and these chapters could be broken up into two sections. Most people see it this way, Genesis broken into two sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 11, and focus on God and His dealings with the whole world, with humanity as a whole. The second section is chapters 12 through 50, so it's a much larger section that focuses on God in, a, in one specific family, the family of Abraham or the descendants of Abraham. Looking specifically at the first section, which is where we're at right now, chapters 1 through 11, you you could break these chapters up into five stories. And it seems to be what the author Moses, the human writer, God is the author, but the human writer Moses has, has used five stories to depict something to us, to show us something um, in the very beginning. These five stories focus around the fall of mankind is the first story, and we've just completed that, chapters 1 through 3, so it's creation and the fall. The second story we'll look at, some of it today, is the way of Cain, or Cain and his descendants, so that's the second story. The third story is the sons of God, this this rather strange story that to this day people aren't quite sure how, what to make of this, where the sons of God see the daughters of men and they marry them. And this is a story about the Nephilim. Like, this is the third story. The fourth story is that of the flood, Noah and the flood. The fifth and final story in this section is the story of the Tower of Babel and what men do there and what God does in response. These five stories describe a good world that is being polluted by the depravity of mankind. You could uh, define depravity as the moral corruption or the moral corruption of mankind. And that's what these stories are really showing us. It's showing us a lot about God 
But over and over again, one of the main themes that comes out of these is mankind's own fallenness, brokenness, and what the world is like apart from God. What life is like when you are against God. Last week we concluded the first story, the fall of mankind. Just chapters 1 through 3. We looked at that over the last, well, really this first part of this year. We've been looking at these first three chapters. And it describes the creation of a good world, but then describes the rebellion of humanity's parents, Adam and Eve. It shows how their actions drove us all, all of humanity, from God's relational presence. It also brought a, they also brought a curse on the earth and then caused humanity to be born spiritually dead. This is really what's depicted, and we wrestled with the Old Testament stories of the fall, with the story of the fall, and what the, how the New Testament in, in, um, interprets these stories. It tells us that man is born spiritually dead in opposition to God, running from God, hiding from God. These are what this, these first three chapters have shown us. God is present and active in these stories, and His grace, which we defined as His unmerited, undeserved favor, this grace of God is very evident in, in, this, in these stories. His grace toward humanity is clear, but it is also clear in these five stories that God is filled with wrath against mankind's rebellion. And we will see in a couple weeks how the flood... When the rain started falling, this is one of the most clear evidences of, of God's wrath. I mean, right now this sounds pleasant, but in a few weeks we're going to see how this was, that rain right there is the voice of God's wrath on humanity, and it would not stop. It just came and it came and it came, and so we'll study that later. Genesis 1 through 11, this first section of Genesis, sets the stage for the rest of the story of redemption. It's right at the beginning of our Bibles. It's the opening stories of God's story of redeeming a people. And so these five stories describe a good beginning corrupted by rebellion. They reveal the depravity of mankind's heart and mind. And they describe God as both abounding in grace and filled with wrath against rebellion. So that's what we've seen so far, and this is what's happening in these five stories, and we're going to now dive into the second story in Genesis 1-11. through 11. And so please keep in mind that this second story is supposed to depict mankind spiraling into sin. It's a downward spiral, spiral into greater or, or worse corruption. This story is designed to show us the depravity of mankind apart from God. This is what happens when mankind seeks the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that they can decide on their own, apart from God, what is good and what is bad. This is what happens. So with this in mind, let's read Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16. Let's, let's jump into the details of the text together. Verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. 
Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he, God, had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. It's talking about his countenance. Verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He, Cain, said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me, from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is, is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Until there. Let's go ahead and ask the Lord to bless our time around this word. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word reveals the truth to us. That it is the truth. And that you have given it to us as a love letter to your people. So that we would see what you have done and what you are doing and what you will accomplish in this earth and how it all points to you. It's for your glory, but in your grace, you have swept us up in your story and you have poured out grace on your people. Lord, I pray that today as we study even this terrible story of depravity, of human depravity, that at the end we will come out worshiping you because your way brings life our way, in opposition to you, our way brings death. And Lord, that we would praise you and worship you and pursue you as we look at your word. We ask all these things that it would be accomplished in us through your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if I had a projector, right now I'd click the button and you would see an account of human depravity. Like we've spoken about, this is really an account or one account of human depravity and let's let's look at what happens when man goes his own way can you guys hear me okay in the back all right thank you so much 
Please remember with me that at the end of Genesis 3, Adam expresses faith by naming his wife Eve, which means life or life giver. In the midst of Adam's rebellion and the consequences that followed, God God opened Adam's ears to hear and gave him eyes to see that God was gracious, that God had given him promises of a life. And Adam believed the words of the Lord that his wife would one day bear children. So after he receives these promises, by faith he names his wife life, or a life giver, as an act of faith. And now in chapter 4, the first thing we read is that Eve gives birth to the first child, Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Eve has endured for the first time. This has never happened before. So for the first time, she has endured the terrible pains of childbirth. But as she holds her son in her arms, she is not filled with bitterness toward God. Instead, she praises God as the giver of this good gift, as the one who has given her the joy of bringing life into the world. I believe that this is evidence that God has given Eve ears to hear and eyes to see His grace and promises, and that Eve is responding with these words in faith. She responds with hope and trust in God, the God who she had just sinned against in the garden. We now see she is responding in faith. Then God gives Eve a second son, and they name him Abel. Though the ground is cursed and there is pain in this world, there seems to be hope in this first family as they bring new life into the world. There's even the possibility that Cain may be the offspring of the woman that would do battle against the serpent and crush its head. That was a possibility. And it's not a stretch of the imagination for us to imagine Adam and Eve sitting around the first dinner table discussing whether or not Cain would be the offspring, the one, the promised one who would defeat the serpent. That may have been what they were sitting around talking about and what Eve may have been referring to as she rejoiced in the Lord, who is the giver of this good gift, the first son. But as the story continues, it becomes clear that nothing could be further from the truth. We're not given a lot of information about Cain and Abel as they grow up, only that Cain became a worker of the ground and that Abel became a keeper of sheep. The story jumps forward to when they are both adult men. We don't know their ages, but we know that they are old enough to perform sacrifices on their own as as adults. But by this point, something terrible is happening in the first family. There is a spiritual split forming in this, in this family between Adam, Eve, and Abel on one side and Cain on the other side. The spiritual split is forming. Abel is showing the signs of faith, but Cain is showing the signs of rebellion. Verses 3 through 5 describe the signs of faith and rebellion. 
We read in verse 3, In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was angry, and his face or his countenance fell. This passage naturally stirs up a lot of questions. Like, like what was there something wrong with Cain offering edible fruit? I mean, it talks about him bringing something like that was produced from the ground, like a grain or fruit or something like that. Was, was there something wrong with him offering a, a grain offering? Or you might also ask, was Abel's offering better somehow, the fact that it was an animal rather than, than fruit or, or grain? Also, the question's been asked, how did they know whether or not God accepted their offering? I mean, in Sunday school, not at, not at Agape or, you know, at a other, let's say, a other Sunday school somewhere, I, heard, I saw the pictures of Cain's smoke went horizontal. But, but Abel's smoke went vertical, meaning it reached God, and that was the sign. I mean, this is make-believe. This is, this is pretend. There's been a lot of speculation, even like the idea of how fire came down from heaven and consumed Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And so there's been a lot of speculation around these questions, but we just simply do not know the answers to these questions. Um, and, but what we do know, so let's talk about what we do know for certain, is that these men had been instructed by their parents or by God directly on the purpose and the form of sacrifice. So they're not just doing this because they just came up with it on their own. Somebody taught them. It's most likely their parents, but also possible God could have revealed this to them privately on the purpose and the form of sacrifice. Why and the how? We know that Abel brought his sacrifice in faith and in the correct form. Because God received it. Hebrews 11.4 also tells us that this is all the way in the New Testament. It's looking back to Genesis and Abel. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So there was faith and it was acceptable, the form, the purpose. We also know that Cain did not bring his sacrifice in faith. And that he possibly did not bring it in the right form. I say possibly did not bring it in the right form. We see this in verse 7, when God implies that Cain's deeds were evil at this point. God implies that. He's saying Cain had been disobedient previously. And in 1 John 3 verse 12, it confirms that Cain's own deeds were evil even before he planned to murder his brother. So, Cain's deeds were evil before he was angry. Before he planned to murder Abel. Going further than this into the realm of speculation would take away from the main point. And here's the point. This is the point. The point is that there is a split forming even in the very first family. Two sons, both with believing parents, apparently of similar age. And some have argued that, that the text um, argues for them being twins. It's possible. 
They have the same upbringing, the same opportunity to know God, the same right to approach God in sacrifice. There's no government, there's no wicked television shows, there's no internet, no liberal school system, no corrupting friends, no human construct outside their own home to blame. There's nothing else. This is the first family. But one hears, sees, and pursues God by faith, while the other commits evil deeds and does not have faith. There is a split forming between those who follow God's way and those who choose another way. And this all comes to a head when God accepts Abel's offering but rejects Cain's offering. This is that moment that just lights, that kindles whatever rotten wood has been piling up in Cain's heart. Cain may have been able to hide his unbelief up until this point, but now in some visible way, I don't think it was the smoke. I mean, you know, it's interesting, but in some (laughs) visible way, God has revealed to the first family that Cain was not accepted, and this divine rebuke from God filled Cain with murderous anger. The story continues in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin's desire is to have you, to control you, to master you, but you must rule over it, is what this is speaking about. God comes to Cain and shows grace to this man filled with anger. And God asks a very pointed question. He asks, why are you angry? One theologian defines anger this way. Our anger is our whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Now, I realize that's a mouthful. And if I had a projector, it would have been right there for you to just (laughs) just chew on for a second. I would have paused and started talking slowly. But um, let's let's just unpack this for just a moment. Anger. He describes it this way. This is a a biblical theologian who's trying to show you from the Word what anger truly is. He says, Our anger is our whole person active response. When we are angry, our being is engaged and it's active. We're not just kind of like, eh, you know, eh." that's not anger. Anger is when we are engaged, It's, it's our whole person active response and not just like you're not just sitting back no you are engaged actively and you are responding you could might be responding just in your mind but your emotions are responding your thoughts are responding sometimes our body we even respond with our body so it's our whole person active response the next part of negative moral judgment so we have Judged, it's this idea of sitting in the judgment seat and we have split between good and evil. That's what anger is. There is this whole person to active response of negative moral judgment. We have said, we have judged, which means to divide. It's to divide between what is right and what is wrong. That's what judging is. It's to divide. And so we have judged that something is negative 
or, or wicked morally because, he finishes, we perceived it to be evil. He uses the word perceived intentionally here because we're not God. And our decisions are based on perception from our point of view. And so he says, this is anger. Now, this isn't in my notes, but he goes on to describe that there are three types of anger. Biblically, there is God's anger. It's always righteous, always right, always just. And then there is human anger. There is righteous indignation is the word that the scriptures use, or righteous anger that humanity can have by the spirit of God's power. But as we look in scripture, this is very rare. And it does not happen naturally amongst in the, in the natural man, not especially not when we see the outworking of that anger. And then there is fleshly, carnal, or, or wicked anger that mankind sometimes has, well, a lot of the time has. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. It is this whole person, act or response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil, and Cain is just dead wrong. His perception is wrong. So let's look at this now. And that's one of the reasons why God asks Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Had Cain been mistreated? Was God unrighteous in some way? Or had Abel cheated him somehow? No. No one had mistreated him or wronged him. So why was Cain angry? Cain was angry because he was proud of heart. And he believed, he judged, he perceived that God was unjust to reject his sacrifice. That's really what's going on. He is angry because God did something. God did not receive his sacrifice. And that is why he is angry. And so whether he realized it or not, he was angry at God for God's decision. But in really reality, Cain had been a, had approached God without faith. This is the truth. Cain had, in reality, approached God without faith and with a heart that was happy to continue doing evil. I mean, we looked at those passages. It says his deeds were evil. He did not approach in faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Cain is rejected because he did not have faith in God and his deeds were evil. In verse 7, God gives Cain an invitation for repentance and faith and a warning of sin's desire for him to control him. God is describing in verse 7 two paths or two doorways. One door leads to forgiveness and acceptance. The other door leads to a trap where sin waits to overpower and consume him. But there's a problem for Cain. The first door, the one that leads to forgiveness and acceptance, that door requires humility and faith. He cannot open this door on his own. He must humble himself before God. But the second door, 
the one that leads to sin, that door Cain is able to burst open all on his own. He doesn't have to change. He doesn't have to admit wrong. And the things on the other side of this door, they promise to make Cain happier than he ever could be following God's way. Verse 8 reveals what doorway Cain chooses. It very abruptly says, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Why? I mean, if we stop, we, we know, many of us know the story and we may have heard it before, but you have to stop and ask, why? Why premeditated murder? Why would Cain take his anger at God and express it by attacking another human being? Why? It doesn't actually make sense logically if you just stop for a second. If you're angry at God, why take it out on Abel? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us why. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart of the natural man is desperate to shift responsibility for our own wrongs to other people. The natural man is a talented liar, able to deceive even himself, able to blame anyone else, even God, for his own failures. I mean, we've already seen this played out in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam blames his rebellion on God for giving him the woman in the first place. I mean, this is the first man in the midst of the first sin, and this is where he goes, this is where his heart leads him. And now somehow Cain has managed to deceive himself into believing that Abel was the problem. If only Abel was out of the way, then God would accept me the way I am. If only Abel hadn't stolen God's attention with that animal sacrifice. If only Abel was dead, then I would be so much happier. All my problems would go away. This is the condition of man, capable of deceiving themselves into believing that they would be doing themselves and society a favor if they snuck up behind their brother and crushed in his skull. This is depravity on display. Depravity, the moral corruption of mankind. The depravity of mankind that would justify killing another person because they got in the way of what I desire. But Cain killing Abel was not a random killing over a pot of gold or something. This was in fact a man who was eager to kill his brother because he couldn't stand that his brother's deeds were righteous. Let's unpack this. This is not two men wrestling over a pot of gold and one hits their head and they die and he's like, okay, well, I get my gold. No, this is a man who was eager to kill his own brother because he couldn't stand that his brother's deeds were righteous. He couldn't stand that he was following God's way. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 tells us, We should not be like Cain, who was, the evil, who was of the evil one 
and murdered his brother. He asked the question, and why did he murder him? Why did Cain murder Abel? He answers his own question in verse 12. Because his own deeds were evil, while his brothers were righteous. Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. He goes on to speak to the church saying, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Here's the point. Cain hated Abel because Abel loved and followed God. That's what 1 John 3 reveals to us, looking back all the way to Genesis, that that is why Cain murdered Abel. This concept introduces a theme throughout Scripture, the theme that the way of Cain hates the way of God. Or those who follow the way of Cain hate those who follow God. And that would be my second point up on the projector screen, this theme that we're going to unpack now. There are different ways to phrase this theme, and we see this throughout the Scriptures. Um, In Genesis 3, we saw that there will be enmity between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman, talking about the followers of, of God, followers of Christ, and the followers of Satan. John 15, in John 15, Jesus says, Because you are not of the world, the world will hate you. He goes on later in that same chapter to say, They, they the world, hated me without a cause. But in Jude 11, we hear a phrase that is specifically applicable to this story of Cain and Abel. Jude is writing to the church in order to warn them of false teachers who have crept into the church unnoticed. These people claimed to follow Christ, but in their actions and words, they kept rejecting the way of Christ. They kept rejecting the way of God, His instructions, the example of Christ, Christ's commands. They kept pushing against this, kept striving against this, and sought to corrupt the church. These people were at odds with the clear teaching of the apostles, and Jude um, 8 says that these people defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme. It's talking about this way. Then later, only three verses later, Jude makes this comparison. He says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. They followed the way of Cain. This tells us something about Cain in Genesis 4. This tells us that the way of Cain is in opposition to the way of God or the way of Christ. When those who follow the way of Cain interact with the... Sorry, when, the, when those who follow the way of Cain interact with the truth of God or with those who believe and live the truth of God, then there is animosity, enmity, struggle, and as we see in this story, often hatred. Remember, Cain was angry with God. Cain did not agree with God's truth. Cain believed that God was unjust But what did he do with his anger toward God? Cain murdered Abel. That's the outworking of his anger against God and God's way. He murdered those who followed the way. Why did did Cain murder Abel? 
John 3 tells us, because Cain's own deeds were evil and Abel's were righteous. There's this anger of God, and then when someone else follows God, their righteous deeds shows the wickedness of my own deeds. And there is hatred, anger, and it can spark even murderous hate. Genesis 4 is introducing this new concept into human history. The reality that those who love and serve God will be hated by the world. They're not just hated by a spiritual being called Satan who controlled the serpent in the garden. We saw that story. But no, there's more to it than this. Those who love and serve God will be hated by other human beings as well. Why? Why do people like Cain hate people like Abel? Why so much animosity toward people who haven't done anything wrong to you? Why do those who follow the way of Cain hate the people of God? Well, 1 John 3 verse 12 again gives us a clear picture of why. That, that verse says, Cain hated, Cain hated Abel because Cain was of the evil one. Of the evil one. We saw in the Garden of Eden how Satan was angry at God as well. And he vented his anger at God by attacking who? He couldn't attack God. So who did he attack? He attacked God's people. Satan became the enemy of God's people in order to attack or in some way hurt God. And 1 John tells us that Cain belonged to this evil one, to Satan. The way of Cain is reality, just another name for the way of Satan. Satan's hatred for God and Satan's violence towards God's people is now expressing itself in the actions of those humans who belong to Satan. So human beings who follow the way of Satan are now acting out Satan's deeds. In Genesis 4, we see the sad reality that humans have become the willing instruments of Satan's rebellion against God. They are His by nature, by instinct, and by their own desire. And when I say they, I'm not talking about some random cult of Satan worshipers. I'm talking about anyone who rejects Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and the only sacrifice that will save. And so we are talking about humanity, apart from God, belongs to Satan. They may not know it, they may not realize it, but they are doing the deeds of their father, Satan. The story of Cain continues in Genesis 4 verse 9 saying, then the Lord said to Cain, to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Cain said, I do not know. I'm not, am I my brother's keeper? And in, this, and in this response, we see that it is even worse than Adam and Eve's response in the garden. At least Adam and Eve repeated the facts. They told the truth with, with shame in the rebellion. They were hiding behind a tree. But Cain lies and reveals his hatred for his brother, even with these words. Verse 10 says, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood cried to God 
for justice, for vengeance. Abel's blood was a curse on Cain. Cain deserved to die, and Abel's blood soaking into the dirt was a righteous cry to a holy God for vengeance. Verse 11, God says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your, brother, your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. In Genesis 3, God had cursed the serpent, and God had cursed the ground. But here in Genesis 4, in a unique way in Scripture, God says directly to Cain that he or that you are cursed. God punishes Cain by taking away his ability to work the ground. This was his livelihood. He could, not, no, he could no longer work the ground and receive a return. The ground was already cursed. It would bring forth you know, the, the weeds and the thorns. That was a result of Adam's sin. But now for Cain, nothing sustainable would grow by his hand. Verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will just kill me. Cain's response is focused on the consequences of his sin. And he is not focused at all, it's clear, on the fact that he had sinned against a holy God and against his brother. Cain does not seem to realize, well, sorry, I apologize. God, Cain does seem to realize that God's favor brings blessing. He says, I'm going to be driven from your sight. So there seems to be some awareness from his parents' teaching or just from watching their life together as a family that God is the one who brings favor. But throughout Cain's response, there is the glaring issue that he does not repent of his deeds or admit any fault before God. He is only concerned about reducing the severity of his punishment. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which means the land of wandering, which is east of Eden. Verses 15 through 16 have raised a lot of questions. One of the main ones is, why did God protect Cain? Why didn't God kill Cain or permit other humans to execute him for committing murder? Why? After all, God would later reveal that it is His will for murderers to be executed by human governments. We'll see that in just a couple chapters with Noah and then again with Moses with the commands that we, they receive there. The Scriptures don't tell us why God permitted Cain to live. It just doesn't tell us. The only answer that was at all satisfying as I read the different speculations... The only answer is that God had a plan in mind for Cain and for his descendants. God was permitting mankind 
to put on display the depths of their own depravity. And as we continue through Genesis, we will see that humanity and Cain's descendants were part of this, but it's not just Cain's descendants. It's also the other descendants that Genesis 1-11 through is just one story after another of human depravity. Remember, Genesis begins with five stories that record this downward spiral of humans apart from God. And the story of Cain is going to put this on display. It's going to put on display mankind's desperate need for God to intervene in human history. The final thing we'll look at is the climax of this story as we look at the whole Bible together. You have this story all the way beginning at Genesis. But in conclusion, let's look at how this story of Cain is fulfilled, where it finds its climax. In Genesis 4, we've seen the increasing depravity of mankind on the earth. Cain was not the offspring that would defeat the serpent. I mean, this is extremely clear. Instead of defeating the serpent, he followed in the way of the serpent. We've also seen the biblical theme that the way of Cain, or those who follow this way, hate the way of God and those who follow it. And this will be repeated throughout Scripture. But the story of Cain finds its climax 4,000 years later when the religious leaders of Israel, the nation, the people of God, the chosen people, when they hate and murder their brother, Because his deeds were righteous. They hated him because he was righteous. In Matthew 23, Jesus speaks these words of warning to the religious leaders of Israel. He says in chapter 23, beginning in verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. Hypocrites, he calls them. Woe to you. Hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, quote, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Jesus is quoting them. He's saying, you decorate these righteous men's tombs. You say that if we lived with Cain, if we were alive with Cain, we would not have murdered Abel. That's what they're saying. They're saying this about Abel and about the prophets of God, those who lived righteous lives before God. Verse 31 goes on to say, Jesus says, Thus you, are, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. He's saying, yes, your, father, your fathers, they are your fathers, and they did murder the prophets, and now you are filling up the full measure of, of what they started. You are going to bring this into completion. Verse 33. You serpents. You brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Verse 35. So that... On you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth 
from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. God, Jesus is spreading his arms wide and saying, the righteous blood shed on earth is going to fall on you. Verse 36, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Even among God's chosen people, Israel, even among the religious elite who had the greatest access to the knowledge and the presence of God, even those who worked in the temple were close to God's presence. Even their humanity still willingly pursued the way of Cain. Even there, where God's knowledge, His Word, His presence, His grace, His promises were most evident, even there, they willingly pursued the way of the serpent. And when God the Son appeared to them in human flesh, doing only the deeds of righteousness, He never sinned once. When He appeared, then their own hearts were inflamed with anger toward God, just like Cain. Just like Cain. They hated Jesus because He revealed the wickedness of their own deeds because of how righteous His deeds were. This was the culmination of all the righteous blood shed on earth, beginning all the way back with Abel. Surely, if we stop and think about this, we stop and we just say, if I lived at this moment, surely this would be the end of humanity. Surely God would finally strike down every man, woman, and child because mankind was now responsible for the death of His Son. Mankind had not just hated and killed one of their own human brothers. No, mankind had crucified the Lord of glory. But God chose not to end humanity. Because the blood of Jesus, as it soaked into the ground beneath the cross, the blood of Jesus did not condemn the world like the blood of of Abel did. The blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. It cried out for justice to be done to Cain. Abel's blood was a constant reminder before God of the blood guiltiness of Cain. But the blood of Jesus spoke a better word. Hebrews 12 verse 24 proclaims to us the church that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for God to avenge, and it justly so. It was a just cry. But the blood of Jesus cries out for the Father to have mercy. For God the Father to have mercy on all those who come to Him in repentance and faith. All of humanity, as we've seen throughout the Scriptures, if you study the Scriptures, you will see 
the image clearly displayed that all of humanity is spiritually covered in blood. All of humanity. You are either covered in the blood of Abel and destined for God's wrath, or you are washed in the blood of Christ, forgiven and set free. These are the only two possibilities that Scripture presents. There is no third category in the middle who are just nice people who don't really believe in this Jewish guy who died on a cross. But I'm not a follower of Satan. No, the Scriptures do not give you that option. You are either covered in the blood of Abel and those like him, those whom you have hated. Jesus says if you hate your brother without a cause, or if you're angry with your brother without a cause, rather, you're guilty of murder. This is the righteousness that's required to be free and guilty or guiltless in God's sight. All humanity is either covered in the blood of Abel or they are washed in the blood of Christ. So come and go to Jesus and find mercy for your soul if you have not yet. Yes, the world will hate you. You will feel like a pilgrim wandering through some foreign land. You will. But these sufferings cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed for all those who are washed, who suffer with Christ outside the gate, and who are reviled and rejected for His name. The glory that awaits us cannot be. The, the glory that awaits us outshines any suffering that we suffer in this time, in this age, for His name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the story of Cain and Abel. Lord, it is a, a terrible, desperately wicked account of a man who was angry at You and who killed the one who was following you, who loved you. Yet, Lord, I thank you for the encouragement that this story can bring to your people that though the world slay us, your arms are ready and waiting to receive us. And that in your arms, we will not think of a single pleasure that we experience in this life because you are overwhelmingly gracious and kind and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore there is nothing to be compared to dwelling in the glory of the light of the father and of the son in the new heavens and the new earth we long for that day would you bring it soon but until that day would you give us the joy of seeing many people come to this knowledge to come to you in repentance and faith would you fill up our joy as we see your kingdom built? Amen.